Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. In John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our goal is to encourage everyone to grow in the Christian faith by anchoring themselves to the secure truth found in the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. The Lord Almighty answers, I will send my messenger to prepare the way for me. Then the Lord you are looking for will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger you long to see will come and proclaim my covenant. But who will be able to endure the day when he comes? Malachi chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 Good News Translation Hello, I'm Victoria Kay. Welcome to another episode of Anchored by Truth. Today we are concluding our look at the intertestamental period, the 400-plus year period between the close of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. Next time, we will begin a new series we call, But What About? where we will explore various topics found in the Bible that people sometimes find puzzling. For instance, we are planning on doing one or two episodes on But What About Heaven and Hell? and But What About Angels and Demons? But for today, we're going to close out this series on the intertestamental period. I'm in the studio today with R.D. Fierro, author and founder of Crystal Sea Books. R.D., would you like to say a word of greeting and introduction? Well, greetings to all the Anchored by Truth listeners. We really appreciate you taking some time to be with us for this episode and for any episodes that you tune into. We know that anyone who takes the time to listen to Anchored by Truth, that the only reason you're doing that is because you really have a sincere interest in knowing the Bible better. Because the single focus of Anchored by Truth is to demonstrate, as we say in our opening every time, that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. So, that truth used to be commonly accepted in our culture, and it was commonly accepted probably throughout a good bit of Western civilization. But today, that truth is not accepted readily anymore. The truth that the Bible is the inspired Word of God is no longer widely shared or accepted. So in order to hold on to that truth, well, that requires both genuine commitment and courage. Ardee, throughout this series, we've been talking about the intertestamental period. And I think we've seen that even though no new books of the Bible were being produced during this period, that this was a key period in biblical history. Can you give us an overview of why you thought it was so important for us to take an in-depth look at this period? Sure. The short answer is that the intertestamental period was a period of time during which a large number of Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled. So if we don't know anything about the intertestamental period and the history that occurred during it, we're going to miss important instances of prophetic fulfillment that the Bible contains. Also, during the intertestamental period, changes occurred in and around Israel that affected the world in which Jesus would live his earthly life and conduct his earthly ministry. So if we don't understand those changes, we will miss important events that prepared the world for the arrival of Jesus, for the arrival of the Messiah. So to close out our series, I want to emphasize those two points by thinking about two hypothetical scribes. 
one scribe who lived at the very beginning of the intertestamental period, and one scribe who lived at its end. So let's call the first scribe, the one who lived near the beginning of the intertestamental period, Ariel, and let's call our second scribe Zedekiah. So we're going to go from A to Z. We think of a scribe as someone who is a writer or a stenographer, but you're using the term as it was used in the Bible. A scribe was someone who was an expert in the Jewish scriptures and law. Right. So let's say that Ariel was a scribe who lived in Jerusalem around 430 to 425 BC. Now, I want to think about the world in which Ariel lived, and more importantly, I want to think about what Ariel might have known about the progress of the plan of redemption. Well, first, Ariel knew that there was a plan of redemption because the plan had been launched in Genesis, the first book of the Jewish scriptures, which we now call the Old Testament. And at the time Ariel lived, all of the books of the Old Testament had been written, though scholars differ on when the first compilation was actually made. But in Ariel's day, the final books of the Old Testament, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Malachi, had just been completed. So, all the books would have been available in one form or another. Yes. All the books that we call the Old Testament, they had been written at the time that Ariel lives. The main point, though, I want to emphasize is that Ariel, at his point in history, had access to the entire Old Testament. And because Ariel is a scribe, Ariel is an expert on those books. So Ariel would have known, even in his day, that a large number of Old Testament prophecies had already been fulfilled. Such is the prophecy contained in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 28, where God told Isaiah, quote, When I say of Cyrus, He is my shepherd, he will certainly do as I say. He will command. Rebuild Jerusalem. He will say, Restore the temple. Unquote. Ariel lived at a time when he had seen, or more probably his grandparents had seen, the Persian emperor Cyrus conquer the Babylonian Empire. Very shortly after he did so, Cyrus issued a decree that allowed the Jews in exile in Babylon to return home and to begin rebuilding their temple. Right. Ariel and his grandparents and parents, they had seen a number of Old Testament prophecies fulfilled during their lifetimes. They had seen, for instance, that even though the Babylonians did not initially destroy Jerusalem, they finally did, and that was as prophesied by Ezekiel. Ariel and his parents and grandparents had seen that the Babylonian exile had lasted about 70 years, as that was prophesied by Jeremiah. And they had seen the Babylonian Empire fall to a confederation of the Medes and the Persians, that had been prophesied by Daniel. And they had actually seen Babylon fall in exactly the way that Isaiah had foretold in Isaiah 44:27. And our fictional scribe, Ariel, now lived in a mostly rebuilt Jerusalem. The temple had been finished around 515 B.C., but the walls of Jerusalem weren't finished until around 445 B.C. So, Ariel lived in a walled city, although it wasn't nearly as grand as the pre-exile city had been and Ariel lives in a city that is part of the Persian Empire. Israel is not an independent nation, although they are enjoying some degree of autonomy in their daily lives and religious practices. Right. So, Ariel has seen a number of prophecies contained in his scriptures come true. But Ariel also knows that there are a large number of prophecies that he can read about in his scriptures that haven't come true. For instance, the prophet Daniel has prophesied, and Ariel knows about this prophecy, that the Persian Empire will be conquered by the Greeks. 
But in Ariel's lifetime, the Persian Empire not only hasn't been conquered by the Greeks, it's at the very height of its power. Greece, in Ariel's lifetime, is just a disjointed group of warring city-states, and Greece isn't a single country, much less a threat to the mighty Persian Empire. And as Ariel looks out over his city from the Temple Mount, well, Ariel knows that the biggest prophecy of all, that a Messiah would come to deliver his people, remains completely unfulfilled. And maybe worse for Ariel, he has the prophecy from chapter 9 of Daniel to deal with. The prophecy said that 483 years had to elapse from the date a decree was given to rebuild Jerusalem and restore its moat and city square before the Messiah, the Chosen One, would arrive. And to compound this dilemma, there were four separate decrees issued by Persian emperors that all had to do with rebuilding either the temple or the city. So Ariel can't really even be sure which decree is the one that starts the 483-year time clock ticking. Correct. But Ariel has seen a number of very specific prophecies fulfilled, so Ariel has good reason to believe that the other prophecies that he knows about will also come true. But Ariel, at his point in time, obviously would have no idea that the most recent books that he has seen added to his scriptures, the books of Ezra, Nehemiah, Malachi, Ariel has no idea that those are going to be the last of God's special revelation for a very long period of time. A period of over 400 years. That's almost 200 years longer than the United States has been in existence. Hopefully, Ariel has a comfortable life because neither his children, grandchildren, nor great-grandchildren are going to see the prophetic fulfillment of many prophecies which are very important to them. So now let's leap forward to Zedekiah, who's our hypothetical scribe, who's living at the very end of the intertestamental period. Now, let's say like Ariel, Zedekiah lives in Jerusalem, and let's say Zedekiah lives at the time that John the Baptist has just appeared on the worldly scene. John the Baptist has just started his public ministry and is just starting to create a buzz among the common people. Now, Zedekiah isn't a skeptic, but Zedekiah is an expert in the scriptures, same scriptures that Ariel was an expert in, and so Zedekiah feels like he has to be a lot more cautious than the common people before he can place his trust in this strange guy who lives in the desert, wears a camel hair coat, eats locust and honey, and is telling everybody that they need to repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So let's see what Zedekiah knows that Ariel didn't. Well, Zedekiah now knows that just about every prophecy in the book of Daniel has been fulfilled with a staggering amount of precision. Unlike Ariel, Zedekiah has seen the Persian Empire fall to the Greek Empire, and Zedekiah knows that the conquest occurred within a remarkably short time period, just over a decade. Zedekiah also knows that there was only one great king of the Greek Empire, Alexander the Great. Zedekiah knows that the prophecy that said Alexander's empire would be split into four parts has come true. And Zedekiah also knows that the Greek Empire has been replaced by the Roman Empire. So, Zedekiah can see the series of four world empires prophesied by Daniel in chapters 2, 7, and 8 of his book has all been fulfilled. And Zedekiah has seen that the prophecies in Daniel chapters 9 through 12 have been partially fulfilled and actually mostly fulfilled. Zedekiah has seen that the struggle between the king of the north and the king of the south, 
that's described so clearly in chapters 11 and 12 of Daniel has unfolded precisely as prophesied in the conflicts that occurred between the Ptolemies and the Seleucids. So Zedekiah can see that a great many more prophecies contained in our Old Testament had been fulfilled between Ariel's time and his time. And this is one of the big reasons we undertook this examination of the intertestamental period. If we don't know anything about the intertestamental period, we miss seeing an amazing number of prophetic fulfillments. Right. But like Ariel, Zedekiah has not seen any of the prophecies related to the coming of the Messiah being fulfilled. Like Ariel, Zedekiah is still awaiting the promised anointed one all the Jews hope will deliver them. Zedekiah is still awaiting the deliverance of his people by the Messiah. But unlike Ariel, Zedekiah can see that the prophesied 483-year time period between the delivery of the decree to rebuild Jerusalem and the arrival of the Messiah, Zedekiah can see that that time period has largely elapsed because Zedekiah knows for sure that it's been more, well over 400 years, since Darius and Artaxerxes issued their decrees concerning Jerusalem. So Zedekiah would have pretty good reasons for believing that the arrival of the Messiah might be very close at hand. Just as Nicodemus seems to have. Nicodemus said plainly to Jesus that they, the Jewish leaders, knew Jesus had come from God because of the miracles Jesus had done. The perceptive Jews of Nicodemus's day knew all that our hypothetical Zedekiah did. And when the Jewish leaders saw John the Baptist begin his ministry, apparently some of those leaders wondered exactly that. In the first chapter of his gospel, John says that the Jewish leaders sent priests and Levites out to ask him whether he was the Messiah. John, of course, said that he wasn't. But he did say that he was the Elijah-type messenger that Malachi prophesied would arrive just before the Messiah. Right. So Ariel and Zedekiah both stood at crucial intersections of history. Ariel stood at the intersection of history where a thousand-year period of God's special revelations had come to a close and a period of revelation silence was about to begin. In Ariel's day, it had been just over a thousand years since Moses had first assembled or written the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And Ariel lived when that 400 to 450 year period of the intertestamental silence was about to begin. Now Zedekiah lived at the end of that period, and Zedekiah lived where a new period of special revelation was about to begin. And that new period of special revelation would begin first with John the Baptist breaking the period of silence, because John came clearly proclaiming the word of the Lord. John was obviously receiving communication directly from God because John told his followers he was able to identify Jesus as the Messiah because of the sign that he had been given by God that the Spirit would come down and rest on the one that was the Messiah. But John the Baptist wasn't the only one that God was communicating with directly in that day. John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, had a visit from Gabriel. Gabriel told Zechariah of the coming birth of John the Baptist. And there were two elderly people, Anna and Simeon, who received messages from God about Jesus and recognized Jesus as the Messiah when he was a baby. Correct, but Anna and Simeon's messages from God were more for the purpose of authentication than proclamation. And Zechariah's message was more for preparation. 
It was John the Baptist who came forth in the mold of the Old Testament prophets and really broke that extended period of prophetic silence. So what I want us to see is that the intertestamental period created those prophetic intersections. The opening of the intertestamental period inaugurated a period of prophetic silence. The close of the intertestamental period marked the end of that period of prophetic silence. Well, I think it's very useful for us today to examine what the people who lived at those intersections knew and how what they knew affected their faith. And in part, I think this is useful because I think it's fair to say that we live in another period of prophetic silence. What you mean is, is that the canon of Scripture closed almost 2,000 years ago. I mean, right? It's not that we don't have a special revelation from God. We do. It's called the Bible. But the period we live in resembles the intertestamental period because new special revelations are not being added currently. Do I have that correct? Exactly. In fact, it's been almost 2,000 years since the last book of the New Testament, the book of Revelation, was written. So the period of Revelation silence that we have gone through is four to five times longer than the intertestamental period. But during this period, we have also seen additional prophecies fulfilled. Some of those prophecies were contained in the Old Testament, and some of those prophecies were contained in the New Testament. Such as? Such as Jesus prophesying about the fall and destruction of Jerusalem. You're thinking of Mark, chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, quote, As Jesus was leaving the temple that day, one of his disciples said, Teacher, look at these magnificent buildings. Look at the impressive stones in the walls. Jesus replied, Yes, look at these great buildings, but they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another, unquote. Yes, Jerusalem was completely destroyed in 70 AD by the Roman general Titus, who would later become the emperor. But let's get back to Ariel and Zedekiah for a moment. As we mentioned, in their hypothesized settings, both of them knew about the prophecies of a coming Messiah, but neither one had seen his arrival. But if Zedekiah had lived for a few years more after he saw John the Baptist appear on the scene, Zedekiah would have seen dozens more Old Testament prophecies come true in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But it's important to note that even Zedekiah would have seen these Old Testament prophecies come true in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Like most of the Jews of his day, Zedekiah would have seen the prophecies that he was reading come true, but in a very unexpected way. Faithful Jews like Zedekiah very much expected the Messiah to be a conquering political and military figure. But in his first coming, Jesus came to conquer sin and death arguably a task that's immeasurably harder than just conquering a country or an empire. Yes. So, as we stand in our own period where there hasn't been any special revelation for 2,000 years, we do have some advantages that Zedekiah didn't have, even if he had been able to live to see Jesus live, die, and be resurrected. Because we now have the advantage of knowing that not only the vast majority of Old Testament prophecies have been fulfilled, but also a huge number of prophecies from the New Testament have been fulfilled. Kind of like Ariel and Zedekiah, there is one great prophetic hope that we have and for which we are still awaiting fulfillment. I'm sure you mean the second coming of Jesus. 
Believers have been looking forward to that since Jesus' ascension and the angels asked his disciples why they kept looking at the sky. Then they added, quote, The same Jesus who has taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Unquote. Ever since that minute, believers have wondered when he would come again. And that's exactly the hope that I'm thinking about. You know, there are a lot of different opinions on many matters relating to the end times, to what's called eschatology. But all the commentators are agreed that at some point in history, Jesus is going to make a physical return to the earth. And when he does, Jesus is going to usher in the time of final judgment and separation of believers from unbelievers. So, we in our day, we're different from Ariel and Zedekiah in that they were looking forward to the first coming of the Messiah. We look back to Jesus' first coming, but we are the same as Ariel and Zedekiah in looking forward to that time period when Jesus, as the Messiah, will right all wrongs, will provide rewards to his servants, and will restore the heavens and the earth to their previously uncorrupted state. And that's one of the reasons I think it's such a good idea for contemporary believers to study previous periods of biblical history like the intertestamental period. We can get so lost in our own times and troubles that we can forget that God's plan of redemption has been going on for an awfully long time. And even though it has been going on for an awfully long period of time, that plan of redemption is still firmly on track and that God will complete his plan at a time that he has already chosen. So what you're saying is that in order for us to persevere in our faith, we need to have an eternal perspective. We need to see beyond the trials and temptations that surround us day to day. It's certainly not that those trials and temptations are unimportant, but if we want to be victorious over them, we need to remember that it is God who will provide the victory. But how can we be confident that God will provide the victory if we don't have confidence in God's promises. And the place where God's promises are contained is the Bible. So we need to ensure that we are firm in our minds that the Bible is God's Word. It's one thing to answer yes to the question, is the Bible the Word of God? But it's another thing to be able to answer the follow-up question of, why do you believe that? And oddly enough, studying the intertestamental period can increase our confidence in our ability to answer those two questions because it increases our confidence in the validity, the reliability, the accuracy, the truth of our two testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And when we think about the challenges that believers faced at every point in redemptive history, I think we can be much more secure and effective at our own place in redemptive history. Christianity is a faith that is rooted in time and place. Christianity is not a faith that asks its believers to suspend the use of their critical facilities. To the contrary, as we had discussed in a previous episode of Anchored by Truth, we are commanded to love God with all of our minds. Well, a huge part of the confidence that believers should have is understanding how we fit in today in the overall unfolding of the plan of redemptive history. So, are we more like Ariel or Zedekiah? Well, I think we're more like Zedekiah. In our place in history, we haven't had a direct revelation from God in almost 2,000 years. Zedekiah knew that God had been quiet for over 400 years, but right before John the Baptist started his ministry, 
Zedekiah had no way of knowing when God would break his silence. And that's kind of like us. We've been in a 2,000-year period of prophetic silence, if you will, and we're not exactly sure when God will break that silence. Oh, I think I see where you're going with this. When God did break his silence, he gave the world so much more than just another earthly political leader. God gave the world the means to transcend the sin and death that had plagued mankind since the garden. So while Zedekiah wouldn't know it until after the resurrection, something far more amazing than just a military conquest was right around the corner. Precisely. I'm well aware that there are a wide variety of views on eschatology in our day and time, and probably the dominant view in our day and time is that the next event of redemptive history is what's called the rapture, the removal of the church before the Great Tribulation. But you know, not all scholars believe that there will be a rapture, or even that there'll be even a literal millennium, a literal thousand-year reign of Christ on this earth. But all Christians agree that Christ's physical return to the earth is an event that we can and should anticipate eagerly. And as Jesus emphasized, other than the Father, no one knows the day and time that will happen. So, it's possible that Jesus' return could be tomorrow, or it even could be today. So, we need to be about the business of ensuring that we are ready for Him to return. That's not something that anyone else can do for us. We must do it for ourselves. That's the reason regular Bible study and meditation are essential to our maturity as Christians. Other people can answer questions and point us to helpful resources, but we are the only ones who can absorb it and apply what we learn to our lives. Amen. You know, today we used Ariel and Zedekiah as hypothetical examples of people who lived at particular times in biblical history. But even though Ariel and Zedekiah are hypothetical, there were real people who did live at those places and times who had the same kind of questions about redemption, about God's plans for the future that we do. Zedekiah lived in an era when God's prophetic silence was broken. But it's kind of interesting to think about what Zedekiah might have been wondering about right before that prophetic silence was broken. Did Zedekiah wonder whether God was ever going to keep his promise to send a Messiah? Did Zedekiah ever wonder whether God's revelation had ended for all time? Now, Zedekiah's scriptures told him differently, but did Zedekiah believe those scriptures? Our Bible tells us Jesus is coming again. And we, in fact, live in an era where we have seen an amazing change in redemptive history because we have seen the Jews, the people of Israel, restored to their homeland. So we've seen something in the relative recent past that some people had only dreamed about for over 1,900 years. The reasonable question we can ask is, what's next for us? The one thing we know for sure is that Jesus is coming again. We have hundreds of fulfilled prophecies from the Bible that assure us that at some point, God is going to interrupt the daily activities of this world in an amazing and powerful way. And we, like the people who saw Jesus come, could be the people who witness God coming in history in that amazing and powerful way. Sounds like a great time for a prayer. Since this is about the time that school is starting, Let's listen to a prayer for children starting another school year. A prayer for a child starting school. Blessed Father, your word tells us that children are a gift from you. 
we thank you that you have blessed our family with our children, and we glorify you that you are their real father. Your love for them exceeds any earthly love, and this encourages us that we may come to you in prayer for all their needs. Soon we have a child who will be starting school. We pray that you would meet our many needs at this time. We pray first that you will enable us to send them to a school that will be safe and that genuinely treasures the opportunity to be involved with your precious children. Help us to find a balance that is so important to helping them grow in trust while also learning to cope with the world and its temptations. Awaken in them and reawaken in us the joy of learning. When the disciples tried to prevent the children from coming to Christ, Christ rebuked them and forever established that He cares greatly for little children. He reminded the disciples that the little ones have angels in heaven who stand before the Father. We take comfort that Christ Himself undertakes to provide for children. Therefore, we pray in Jesus' name in the confident expectation of mercy and provision. Amen. Amen. We hope you'll be with us next time, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage some friends to tune in also, or listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalcbooks.com, where we're not famous, but our boss is.